Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. This synodal process, this idea of journeying together, calls our attention to the need to be attentive to where each person is on that journey. Some experience forms of exclusion, marginalization, and some claim more authority than others. But the reality is, if we are true to the spirit of synodality, that is listening, dialoguing, discerning in a manner that is inclusive, we wait for one another. You may have heard that African proverb that if you want to go fast, you can walk alone. But if you want to go far, you walk with others. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media, and also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we welcome Agbonkyangmege Orobato, a Jesuit priest who is the Dean of the Jesuit School of Theology at the University of Santa Clara in Berkeley. Welcome to Preach, Bato. Thank you, Ricardo. It's good to be on your show. And it's wonderful to talk to you after so many years. Bato, at the moment you're in Berkeley, California. You've also just come back from the Synod on Synodality where you were a voting member. What was that like? It was really an amazing experience of the diversity of the church and also the richness of that diversity in terms of the people, the wisdom, their giftedness. It was just an awesome experience and I'm very privileged to have been part of it. And before that, you did so many things. I mean, you led the Jesuits in Africa for a number of years. And most recently, you were part of the African Synodality Initiative that led the African Church through the synodal process. And then you were also involved in drafting the report from the African continent that was presented to the Synod in preparation for the working document. That's correct. The Jesuits in Africa and Madagascar were deeply involved in the preparatory stages of the synodal process in Africa. And we did that through what we call the African Synodality Initiative. And that was created to support the grouping of conferences of bishops in Africa in their participation at the synod. Great. Tell us something that most people would not know about you, but that makes you you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I am from 
a polygamous family of 25 brothers and sisters and nine mothers. In Nigeria, correct, Benin? In Nigeria, correct. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But let's get into uh, this week's episode of Preach. You're preaching on the Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, Year A. Tell me about the Feast of Christ the King. Well, the Feast of Christ the King has very unique memories for me because when I became Catholic, or by the way, I'm a convert to Christianity. When I became Catholic, this was one event that I looked forward to because it was also the time when we had what we call the Corpus Christi procession. Yeah, because by the time Corpus Christi occurred around June, that was the middle of the raining season, so we didn't have the procession. So it was deferred to the end of the year, which was the end of the church year, the liturgical year, and that was when we had the procession. So the Feast of Christ the King always carries this memory for me of just having a wonderful procession through town with the Blessed Sacrament, with lots of singing and just a very festive experience. So that's how I remember uh, this uh, solemnity. And it's just a very special moment. Mm. It's probably a very helpful way to remember it, especially because the Christ the King, and we'll get into this later, but the Feast of Christ the King can often be connected with the authority of Christ, the power of the church in many ways, and to connect it to Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, right? This very humbling reality that we all participate in is a great contrast to the maybe more powerful hierarchical image that this feast can evoke for us. Yes, that's correct. And the way I look at the readings for today is precisely to try to imagine ways in which this can be perceived less as a hierarchical, you know, patriarchal or monarchical depiction of who God is in Christ through the Spirit, and more about how God relates to us in humility, in care, in tenderness. Can you tell us the reading that you're going to be honing in on in your homily? What's it about? Well, the Gospel is Matthew's depiction of the Last Judgment, Matthew 25, and that is the scene where, in Matthew's imagination, God gathers the entire creation together and separates those who have been good from those who have been bad, condemns the bad and rewards the good. So it's very stark and very vivid, you know, portrayal of the last judgment and also the criteria that God applies for separating the good from the bad, which is, you know, how have you treated the least of my people. Not to be confused with Santa Claus, you know. Of Have you been naughty or nice? <laughs> Tell me, who are you preaching for? I am envisaging a regular parish community of women and men, young and old. Wonderful. We will now hear Agbonkyang Mege Orobato preach for the Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, Year A especially recorded for Preach. Today's first reading and the Gospel 
seem to suggest that God favors sheep over goats. I wonder why. In Matthew's imagination, the kingship of Jesus resembles that of a ruler and judge, seated on a glorious throne and pronouncing judgment over sheep and goats. That is to say, people on the right and people on the left of the king. The gospel leads us to think that good people occupy an assigned place on the right side, and bad people belong to the left side of this ruthless judge. This is a harsh, unappealing way to describe the kingship of Jesus. Could we imagine Matthew's scenario of the last judgment differently? Could we imagine a purpose for this gospel that is different from what our popular imagination leads us to believe? As I see it, the point of today's readings is not merely to set up a strict rule or standard of behavior that separates sheep from goats and people on the right from those on the left. In our ordinary living, we are never just sheep or just goats. We are both. Who among us could ever measure up perfectly, consistently to Jesus's mandate to feed the hungry, visit the sick, spend time with incarcerated people, clothe the naked, or welcome the stranger every time and all the time? We are sheep and we are goats some of the time, if not all the time. Sometimes we succeed in living out our Christian calling to charity and love towards others. Other times we don't. And that's not reason to cast us into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When scripture presents Jesus as our king, scripture doesn't just mimic or mirror what we are familiar with. That is rulers who lord it over others. Our readings today are not about judgment, condemnation, or destruction. On the contrary, these readings invite us to an experience of God who is tender towards us, who is merciful in our regard, who shepherds us with compassion. The kingship of Christ is both a revelation of God's tenderness, mercy, and compassion and an inspiration to imitate these qualities of God in our relationships. Revelation and inspiration, never to condemn us, but always inviting us to discover new ways in which we can be on the side of God always inviting us to incarnate new ways in which we can lead others to the right side of God, 
always inviting us to discern new ways in which we can become sight for the lost, a path for the strayed, healing for the wounded, rest for the weary, and pasture for the famished. You see, God does not favor sheep over goats. Jesus is the good shepherd, our good shepherd. That was Agbonke Mwege Orabato for Preach. After the break, Bato shares how thinking of the Gospels as stories can subvert hierarchical, monarchical, and even patriarchal readings of the Scriptures. Welcome back to Preach. Before we return to our conversation, a word from the sponsor of this episode. Boston College School of Theology and Ministry recently announced a new certificate program, Courage to Preach. The program starts summer 2024 and is designed to equip ministers, particularly campus ministers and parish ministers, to better integrate the riches of our faith with the crucial challenges of our time. During the program, participants will learn to utilize scripture and Catholic social teaching to preach on contemporary issues, such as racial and environmental justice. The program will engage diverse audiences in dynamic methods for preaching, teaching, and facilitating faith and justice activities, particularly attuned to the techniques most effective for reaching young adults. This hybrid program takes place in person at Boston College over two summers and online for one module during the winter in between. To learn more, visit bc.edu forward slash preach today. Bato, one of the things that we didn't say in your introduction was that you're a theologian. <laughs> this is one of those feasts that many can use, I think wrongly, but that many use to assert hierarchy and patriarchy in the church. As somebody who has studied feminist perspectives on the scriptures, how would you approach this feast that is so often seen as an assertion of patriarchy and hierarchy? I believe that one of the gifts that feminist approaches and perspective to theology generally, particularly to scripture, offers us is an opportunity not only to critique the very stark and vivid masculine, patriarchal, monarchical imagery that we find in scripture, but also a way to read scripture differently, to connect it with our real life experience, our lived reality. And when we see images like king and lord and monarchs in scripture, I find that on many levels quite disturbing, especially when that is translated into ways and means of sustaining patriarchal, monarchical structures in society, in the church. My approach is to first of all, listen to the critique of feminist perspective, and then secondly, learn from what those perspectives invite us to as alternative ways of reading scripture that is inclusive, that's respectful, and affirming 
of the equal dignity of women and men. So can you give me an example in your homily that you've just preached for us, where you did that and how you thought about that in this context? In this context in particular, when I look at the image of King and the way Matthew tells this story, you have to connect it with the preceding readings because the preceding readings just invite us to consider the tenderness and mercy and compassion of God. And the images that the first reading uses are also images of pasturing, which is what Matthew would later use to make that distinction between sheep and goats. And from my perspective, I see that as an invitation then to read this scripture text differently from the perspective of pasturing, which is about nurturing, which is about care, which is about tenderness, not about power, not about authority, not about asserting and imposing obligations on people. Even when Jesus in Matthew's gospel is presented as this judge who is segregating and discriminating between good and bad, his rule is the rule of charity. Have you cared for my people? Have you given drink to the thirsty? Have you clothed the naked? So the embellishment of power and authority just doesn't fit who I see this Jesus to be. I think for me, when I approach a text like this, the gift of feminist perspective is really to begin to see that God has many sides and we don't exhaust the sides of God simply by focusing on the dominant image that we have received from culture, from religion, from tradition, and from scripture. What I appreciated is that you didn't seek to change the scriptures, right? I mean, you didn't change what it said. You approached the language from the perspective of the translation that is before us, and then you reinterpreted that for us. So many of us, and I think it can be a tendency in some communities, to change those words instead of to re-signify them. I wonder if you might talk to that and the power of the preacher in that. Well, you know, as I see it, and again, this might connect to my own background as an African, you know, having grown and lived in the context of African religion, where storytelling is very integral to how we live. And scripture is story. Scripture is storytelling. And when you tell stories, you use images, you use symbols, you use all kinds of manner and figure of speech. And that means it lends itself to interpretation. We can preserve the image, but they are not absolute. The images we use are means. They are a media, and we can always interpret and try to draw new meaning from these media in a way that affirms our humanity, in a way that celebrates our giftedness, in a way that allows us to find ourselves in the text. So I don't try to change the text. I just try to hear the story again and draw meaning from that story by way of interpretation. 
So tell me, where have you done that in this particular text? You know, where have you taken a different interpretation from perhaps what might be the usual way of reading? Well, the usual way for this particular story is to imagine a king, a man, seated on a glorious throne and pronouncing judgment. It's a very clear imagery. But if that's a symbol of who God is and symbol lends themselves to interpretation, then I would like to say it differently as God, who is not sitting and pronouncing judgment, but who is actually reaching out in care and compassion to people, God's own creation, who are vulnerable, God's own creation, who need that tenderness, that care, who are not perfect. You know, rather than see God as this monarch or this patriarch who is breathing down the neck of God's people. I'd rather see one who shepherds, that is one who accompanies, or if to put it very, very straightforwardly, one who really wants us to succeed, not one who is waiting to catch us where we fail. The images that were given in this reading appear to be in direct contrast, right? But because we're speaking about a king and then the shepherd, shepherd of sheep and goats, and it seems to me that you've coalesced these images. We might talk about it in terms of the shepherd king. What do you make of that idea? True. There's a marriage, if you like, of imagery here. There is one that is of a king and the other of a shepherd. And I think scripture offers us the possibility to merge these imagery and by that same process, draw new meaning from it. So where we see or will be tempted to see this harsh, unforgiving king, we begin to see this experience of God who wants to accompany like a shepherd who wants to be with and whose presence is one of healing, is one of tenderness. I've seen shepherds where I come from in Eastern Africa. They will stand between their sheep and goats and any danger that is coming. I remember one situation I saw once, there was a herd of cattle moving down the road and I couldn't find a shepherd. There was no shepherd, so I was surprised. How is this possible? But they kept moving and I waited because I was waiting to pick up uh, transport. And then I realized the shepherd was way behind because there was one cow that was limping. And so he stayed with that cow and let the rest go forward. I mean, think about Jesus's imagery of the 99, you know, and the one lost sheep. That was a very powerful image of what it means mm -hmm. to be a shepherd and a shepherd king. It's interesting. I mean, that really draws me into this idea that you've just been a part of in the Synod, the Synod on Synodality, this idea that there are people who are on the margins that we leave behind as a church, that we're trying to bring on board. There are people who are way ahead that the shepherd needs to catch up to still. I wonder if you might talk about preaching in that context, in the context where people are in very different places and spaces. How do we meet them? Well, you know, it's interesting that the very powerful imagery that we use of a synodal process 
is this idea of journeying together, walking a path. That calls our attention to the need to be attentive to where each person is on that journey. Some experience forms of exclusion, marginalization, and for various reasons. And some claim more authority than others in this process. But the reality is, if we are true to the spirit of synodality, that is listening, dialoguing, discerning in a manner that is inclusive, we wait for one another. We wait for one another. You may have heard that African proverb that if you want to go fast, you can walk alone. But if you want to go far, you walk with others. You've employed two things in the course of your homily and even in our conversation now, which I want to talk about because I do think it's an African gift and it's a gift that can be given to preachers and that we can all learn. The one you named very clearly, storytelling, right? This idea of telling stories to make a point. So we spoke about the story of the lost sheep and then you've kind of explained that to us, how that fits into the church, into the synodal way. And then now you've just used a proverb. Proverbs are such an important part of, I think, parts of the scriptures as well. How can we think of our preaching more in terms of proverbs? Scripture is really founded on a very strong oral tradition, traditions that employ various forms of speech and proverb being one of them. I think the gift of proverb in scripture is really the ability to help us connect immediately with the meaning by relating it to something very ordinary. So when I talk about going fast and going far, that's immediately relatable to an ordinary experience. So this means like proverbs and stories that we find in scripture are really access routes into the heart of scripture for people who don't need to be biblical scholars. And who is the best model of that technique? It's Jesus of Nazareth, you know, telling stories, telling parables, using proverbs. You know, I just feel that it's the most immediate, concrete way of accessing the meaning of Scripture is to use stories, proverbs, and images. You heard many stories, no doubt many proverbs and images throughout the Synod from all over the world. What gifts do you think preachers need today, given what you heard over that month? What do you think we need as a global church to hear from those entrusted with the proclamation and the unpacking, the breaking open of the word? I believe that in a synodal church, as preachers, we are called to be people who reconcile. And by that, I mean we are called to break open the word of God in a way that brings healing, that draws people together, that make people feel and experience themselves as a part 
of a community that cares for them. Not a community that judges them, excludes them for whatever vulnerabilities they may have to struggle with, but a community that really, truly welcomes everyone. Words can hurt. Words can also heal. Hmm. We're beginning a new liturgical year with the Solemnity of Christ the King. It marks the end of one year and the beginning of the next. I hope that as we begin this year, we might truly be a church that offers words of healing and comfort. And if I might add to that, please, I firmly, deeply believe that the most important lesson, instruction that Scripture offers us as preachers is Isaiah's phrase, console my people, console my people. That's what we are called to do. Bato, this has been a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Kevin Christopher Robles, Michael O'Brien, and Preston Carmack offered production assistance. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loschut studio in New York City. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on X or Instagram at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before we go, just a reminder that you can subscribe to America Media for a new scripture reflection in your inbox every day. If you're not a digital subscriber, you can do that by just clicking the link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.